I want to do one other thing. I want to introduce you guys to somebody. Um, this is a guy I met when I was with Josh over in Africa. His name is Prince. He's a pastor of one of the Calvary chapels in Nigeria, uh, which is on the west side of Africa. And as you guys know, is uh, in the news somewhat regularly as being one of the more um, unstable places, I guess you could say. Um, and all I can say is when I, when I met this guy, I thought, man, this guy is incredible. He would fit right in a sanctuary at Calvary Philly. Uh, and so I want to introduce you to him because he's a great guy. We're going to be getting involved with him, I think, more and more. Uh, so I just asked him yesterday to just kind of share a quick testimony with you guys and just kind of let us know a little bit about him and like what life is like in Nigeria and just a different perspective. One of the things that we can get sucked into is getting so myopic and so focused on our own lives or our own state, or our own county, or our own city, that we forget what the rest of the world is going through and what other people face. And uh, so I just thought, I didn't trust the internet in here or Nigeria to try to do this live, so I recorded it yesterday, um, but I just thought it would be great to hear from him and just let him speak to us. So before we head out to lunch, I just want to introduce you to Prince Lawrence. Um, related by <laughs> the Lord to Josh Lawrence, but not related blood-wise. But we have two Lawrences this morning. So, um, Matt, if you want to play that, go ahead. All right, brother. So I had such a great time with you um, a couple months ago in Kenya, and we just hit it off and just had a great time. And just listening to you talk, um, there was just so many things that I was um, just impressed by and just thought, wow, this is so different than the life that we are living over here. So I I've been looking forward to this day where some of the guys here can meet you and just hear from you. So um, why don't you just start out by giving us, you know, a quick greeting and just kind of your testimony and how you um, became a pastor there in Nigeria. All right. Uh, well, hello, everyone, uh, all the men. This is Prince Lawrence, uh, the pastor by God's grace of Calvary Chapel, Abuja. Nigeria. It is the first Calvary Chapel in Nigeria. Uh, in case you're wondering, Nigerians in Africa, uh, the most populous black country in the world, over 200 million here. Well, I was born to a Christian home. Um, my parents were really uh, God-fearing people. Uh, my dad especially was one who, whose life and faith challenged me so much his walk with the Lord. He was a very consistent man. When I describe him, I describe him as someone who did not confuse me in life. His life at home was consistent with his life at church and his life at work. He was always the same person, a man of integrity. And I always wanted to grow up and be like him. And so that really challenged me a lot growing up. Uh, he loved the Lord. He feared the Lord very much. And he hated it when people did not fear God uh, or reverence him. And so he would challenge that. He had a lot of problems with people who were not consistent with their faith, you know, in the Lord. So uh, that was something I grew up under. He was uh, a strict disciplinarian. Uh, you couldn't just join what all the kids were doing. Uh, and then you didn't expect to get all the things that all the kids were getting uh, with him. Uh, he also was one who knew how to uh, manage things very well. He was a good manager of resources, mega resources, because 
he grew up a an orphan. And so the Lord taught him how to manage things. And so my mom came into his life and they both uh, managed their lives together in a very uh, little village. Uh, we grew up without electricity then, <laughs> but it's a, a beautiful, a beautiful thing. They were really humble people and they were very welcoming and open people. The Lord opened up the opportunity for me to leave uh, this land of ours, Nigeria, to travel to, to Europe to uh, study for better life and for safety. And while I was there, I, was, uh, I met uh, Calvary missionaries and one in particular invited me to a church. So having grown up in a very good Bible-believing home, uh, I wanted a church that taught the Bible, you know, so I tried a, a couple churches, and I wasn't okay with that. But half an hour into a Bible study at Calvary Chapel, that was it for me. And um, I thought, this is where I'm going to be. This is where I belong. And so I continued walking there. This was uh, in the year 2001 when I visited the Calvary Chapel. So it'd be 20 years ago now. And what a blessing it's been. Um, well, I end up uh, living in Hungary for a while, and um, I think from their history, they've been through a lot of um, oppression from foreign aggressors, the uh, Turkish Empire, and then communism and some of the, what, what they went through, even the Nazis before that, they have a lot of histories like that. So uh, the Hungarians are very close and and nationalistic in a sense. And so uh, I really did not feel very welcome in the society, uh, but it was very warm uh, at the church, uh, uh, heartwarming, especially among the, the missionaries. Uh, they were very open. Everyone was so warm. Everyone was so welcoming. People wanted to just sit down and talk over meals. and They wanted to know more about me and about my country, and that was so special. I felt so special, and I thought to myself, what is the difference between the people I've been meeting and these people? And I realized just that the people, they knew the Lord. They were walking with the Lord, and that was the thing that was special. And I really wanted to hang out and be with these people that love God because that really was a huge uh, difference from the life I've been living there and what I've been experiencing over there. And so... From that time, you know, my heart was settled in just being at that church and just serving along. But not too long from then was uh, 9-11, September. And after that, uh, I moved uh, closer to Budapest, the capital, and I started attending Calvary Chapel Budapest. The church I attended before Calvary Chapel at Debertson uh, was a much smaller Calvary Chapel in a little uh, underground room, uh, but... Uh, kind of a basement room, but it was now a bigger church at the uh, center of the city in Budapest, uh, Calvary. And I loved just serving there and uh, being noticed. I didn't like going to church, not getting involved, not get, not doing anything. So I'll go out two hours before services to clean up and set up, help set up. Uh, so I didn't want to be involved in the ministry uh, more, much more than that. I thought just be a servant and serve and help out in the uh, cloak room, just hang people's clothes and give them tags and greet them when they come in. That's all I wanted to do. Uh, but obviously the Lord had more for me and I didn't realize that. And 
Uh, some people walked up to me uh, over uh, times and, and then they would share with me how they felt the Lord was calling me to full-time ministry. But I couldn't see how that was going to be possible for a guy who's so reserved. Uh, my dad even spanked me at home for not talking to people. And I was so uh, shy and I didn't make friends at school because I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want anybody talking to me. But that was uh, quite a difference, you know, for a change. And, and um, But over time, the Lord began to make that very clear to me. In the fall of 2002, I found myself at the Bible College uh, there at Kavachap Bible College in Baita, Hungary, and uh, spent the next two years there studying and graduating and uh, getting some responsibilities given to me. And after graduation, uh, the chiefest of those responsibilities was them asking me to come on on staff. And so as a teacher assistant and intern and uh, and that next year was really powerful because it gave me uh, some serious insight to uh, administration, church administration, and ministry administration. So, uh, and I got to meet a lot more people. I met a guy during that next year, uh, especially the half of that year towards the end of my stay there. Uh, and he was a roommate of mine and I shared with him, you know, that the Lord was leading me back to Nigeria. And he felt, he said, oh, I'll go with you. And this guy ended up coming with me and stayed here for five years. He's an American guy from Washington State. Um, a young believer back then, but then has grown in the Lord now. And today he's a brother-in-law of mine. He's married to my sister. Uh, and I got to officiate the, the wedding. So it was a great blessing that the Lord brought about, and that's how I end up here. I came to Abuja because I wanted to, I thought to myself, I don't know how to do this. I was so scared of returning back here. It was a year into my stay there, the Lord began to speak to me about returning back to Nigeria. I said, Lord, please just leave me alone. I mean, you won. I got to the Bible college. I'll stay there. I'll serve you in the West, but I'm not returning back to Nigeria. I mean, there's so many evil stuff here. Uh, but the Lord showed me that his people were malnourished and needed to be taught his word. And so he won. He always wins. And I'm glad that he won. And I'm glad that I was able to yield to his will and come here uh, 16 and a half years ago. Now started teaching people his word. And the Lord has blessed uh, the work over these years. And out of this has been born uh, six other uh, fellowships and Calvary Chapel centers across Nigeria. Hmm. That's so encouraging. So encouraging. Tell us, you know, when when we were together, one of the things that you were describing for me was just kind of life in Nigeria, and um, you know, I guess for us it was just a for me myself it was um, really eye opening. So. Um, as a way of sort of introing how we can pray for you, just tell us what Nigeria is like, what ministry is like over there, and uh, just, yeah, just open our eyes a little bit. All right. As I mentioned earlier on, Nigeria is the largest concentration of the black race in the world. Over 200 million, you can't find uh, any other country more populous that is black like this one. 
but it also comes with a lot of stuff. It's a large area. Uh, it's nicknamed the giant of Africa, <laughs> interestingly so. But it has over 250 different ethnic groups with their different languages. So it's a, it's, it's a ratio. You could say ethnically charged society, Nigeria is. Also very politically charged. Uh, usually the presidency in Nigeria is rotated uh, between the north and the south. Uh, predominantly in the north, it is uh, predominantly Islamic. That's where you hear about Boko Haram and maybe other uh, ISIS in the, in the West African region. Uh, so it's predominantly up there in the north. The south is a mixture of both. I am uh, fortunate to come from the from the southeast, where there are ninety eight percent, I should say, uh, Christian uh, includes the Catholic faith. So people go to church. Ninety eight percent of the people go to church. They belong to one church or the other. Doesn't necessarily mean that they are walking with the Lord. Of course, uh, there is still so much evil, and they need to know the Lord and love Him. Uh, and uh, people feel to do so. It's religiously charged. It is politically charged. It's uh, racially or ethnically charged. And so um, there have been a civil war in Nigeria. There was a brutal civil war where over 3 million people were killed between 1967 and 1970. Uh, some of those wounds have not been healed. But it's been an interesting adventure for myself, seeing the gospel bridge those gaps between the ethnic groups. We've been blessed here with so many marriages that cross those ethnic barriers. My wife and I are an example of such. We don't understand each other's language, but we, we only speak in English. Our kids are at a loss. It will be wonderful for them to learn any of it. Uh, local languages, but they hear bits and pieces here and there. Uh, but we speak English at home, and that's the only way we can understand each other. But the gospel of Jesus has made us become one in him, and she is uh, my best friend. So I am married, as you've heard now, uh, to Florence Lawrence. So uh, we're blessed with four kids of our own, Irene, uh, Joel, Ariel, and Daniel. And uh, the Lord has also allowed and enabled us in the years to foster some uh, orphan kids who become, became now who become daughters to us. Some of them are married here at the church and are walking with the Lord and are doing well. So that's been a, a blessing. This is the kind of society. So uh, when, we, when I walk out the gate here, the closest neighbor to us is a Muslim. And so it feels like living on the missions field constantly for us because we're surrounded by people of different faiths and we need to let the light of Jesus shine. And that's the only way that ethnic tensions can be bridged and can be overcome. It's not by campaigning and activism. That's never the way. If people think they are mistreated somewhere, they need to come here and see how people of the same race, the same color, mistreat each other. But obviously, God cares for everyone. And 
it is the gospel. It is Jesus that conquers us. One of the things I think about race, you know, when I was in Europe, I, I felt bad a little bit. I, I got to play soccer, uh, semi-pro, and I people called me awful names uh, because of the, my skin color. Uh, that's worrying, but as worrying as that is, it's not as bad as it is here where you see People of the same color treat each other, how you see them treat each other. And I realize the problem is the same everywhere. The problem is when people do not know the Lord. I mean, this thing has been on for so long. In Genesis, uh, when Joseph was sold into slavery, when things did not go her way, Potiphar's wife brought out a race. She was a race player. She said, look, he brought the Hebrew here to mock us. So it's always been this race issues that will always be these race issues, but we overcome that with the name of Jesus and the word of God. And that's the thing that makes the difference. And that's the thing we've been praying that it will make, continue to make the difference. It has made a difference, but it's so much more to be reached here. And that is how uh, our country is and uh, some dangers here and there, but where is safe? Nowhere is safe. There's only heaven, the place that will be safe. And so I look forward to that. And that's what I teach people to look forward to. And um, the Lord has blessed here in the ministry that we've been able to teach through the Bible uh, for the first time from Genesis to Revelation. And I just got done um, this Wednesday. I just got done teaching the New Testament again, uh, the Revelation 22. For the second time I've taught the New Testament, and in a week or so, we're going to start. I'm going to take uh, this week off and then uh, restart with Genesis, the Old Testament, uh, come next Sunday. So looking forward to that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, we, we take a lot for granted. Just uh, it's always great to hear how things are other places. And um, so why don't you, if you have a, um, you know, we're going to be gathered together here with all the men here. We're going to be studying together, worshiping together, praying together. So if you have a, a word of encouragement for us, we'd love to, to hear it. Sure. As I thought about it and, and prayed, I felt the Lord put up my heart to share from Mark chapter 8. So for the men, Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to the end. When he had called the people to himself, that's Jesus. When Jesus had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Man, this is what Jesus would want us to do. We gathered because we want to come after Jesus. And he says, Deny yourself. That's the first step in following Jesus and coming after him is self-denial. It's no longer about you. It's no longer about the way you want things done. And I struggled with that, the way Prince wanted his life to go versus what the Lord wanted. And I'm still struggling with that. I'm still learning, but I know this is what the Lord wants. So let him deny himself. Take up his cross. I'm not talking about your bling, you know, with your chain and a cross on it. No. It looks fashionable, yes, but the cross is a symbol of death. Jesus died on the cross. 
curses anyone and everyone who dies on the cross, you know, who's hung on a tree. And that's exactly what Jesus went through. He took our curse for us. We need to take up the cross to follow him. And then he says, just in case you're not willing to do that, to deny yourself, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Eventually, you will. He is the one who can keep it for you. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So the Lord wants to, he is the only one we can entrust with the issue of salvation. Matthew 1.21 says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He is the only one with the mandate to save. So you're trying to save your own life, you can't. But you hand it over to Jesus, he will. You can be sure of that. For what will they profit a man to gain if he gains the whole world? And loses his own soul. Nothing. If you lose your soul, you've lost it all. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Just tell me, how much is a man's soul worth? And Jesus died for each and every one of us. That we might give over our lives to him. Hand it over. And he knows how best to keep them. For whoever is ashamed of me, my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Jesus wants us to be bold for him. He wants us to boldly share him with people. Now, all of us, most of us will never get, maybe, or not called to get to the missions field, go serve as missionary pastor or pioneers, start churches, plant churches, or lead Bible studies, lead the men. But in every of our homes, we get to lead. And our families need to know us. Our wives, our children, and those who are around us, our, the people we work together with, those who, work, who are around us, family members, extended family members, they need to know us as people who follow Jesus, people who deny themselves, people whose interest is not to save their lives, but if need be to lose it for the Lord, because they know that eternal life, there's nothing, nothing more than that. You see, it's the greatest thing. So, men and brethren, I just want to encourage us, brothers, that we would be so such people that would lay down our lives. Follow Jesus wherever he may fall, in whatever way. And one other thing I find with people is people dictating to the Lord how to use them. Don't do that. You know, we can't do that to the master or to the Lord. All we need to do is to yield to him. He has a mandate to save, and he will surely save our lives. What's the worst that can happen? We lose our lives, but then we gain that which can never be taken from us by terrorists or by by People, we live in a world that is increasingly, increasingly difficult to take a stand for the Lord. But for us, it must not be difficult to do so. We must yield everything and not be ashamed of him. So when he returns, he will boldly declare us as his brethren. And he will say, I want to hear that. Well done, good and faithful servants. God bless you. Amen.